0: The historic bells of Albany City Hall. Welcome to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting.
1: And welcome to Albany Street here on the Albany Broadcasting Family and Networks. I'm Brian Cady, and as you'll remember if you listened last week, we had Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany, and we had such a good conversation that I decided that we were going to make it a two-part show, and so without further ado, here's the beginning of part two of my sit-down with Bishop Scharfenberger. The services offered from the diocese, obviously, you know, we mentioned how it's it's a very wide spanning diocese like i mentioned the 14 counties before over 10,000 square miles yes. of coverage so obviously some parishes are going to have certain needs that don't quite fit others but there's obviously the need to have widespread services for everyone i feel like the one that has significant importance right now is youth ministry i just feel like from a demographic perspective within Church enrollment, diocese enrollment, I feel like youth ministry is a huge, huge demographic that is something that the church at large could yearn for in a bit.
0: Well, you know, actually, I have a uh, a, uh, kind of a collaborator, Tom Cronin that works with me in bringing together young people of different age groups. You know, a couple of the projects that we continue that are ongoing is inviting young people to come together. We have one, for example, one kind of a, not really a program, it's it's an opportunity for them to come together and socialize, talk about things that are on their mind. We call it Good News and Cold Brews. It's an opportunity. Uh, various nights of the week, and uh, we go to different areas of the diocese in order to do this. Uh, all of the vicariates. It's one thing. In fact, I was just talking with Tom this morning. Another type of a uh, outreach we have is it's called uh, Alpha, and it's an opportunity again for people to come together and to talk about what's on their mind and to present what their challenges are and. Living the Faith in This World, and uh, that's another, another outreach that we have. And we try to do that throughout the diocese as well, too. So there's definitely a hunger and definitely an opportunity to do that. Of course, I know I visit the high schools as well, too. We were talking about that before in order to uh, celebrate liturgies with them. One of the things we did recently, as I mentioned, was at the direction and uh, encouragement of Pope Francis, we had a number of sessions. The word synodality is something you've heard. It's not in the dictionary, I don't think. But basically, it's a way of approaching church from a very grassroots level. In other words, meeting people where they're at. That experience, you know, of, of w- walking with people, and that's what we really do with our young people. We invite them to come together, provides a meal, you know, maybe it's pizza, maybe a little beer, and then an opportunity to discuss their lives, what's happening, you know. Many young people are faced with tremendous financial challenges, a lot of debt, a lot of loans, you know, just to go to college or to continue an education. So we offer some services there to give them some good advice on how best to manage their finances and their and, and their career options, you know, to talk about that and to make connections too because people then get to know each other. It's networking in a way, but it's not just on a financial basis. It's on a personal basis and it does, it, it tends to help build community, which is what we're trying to do because a lot of people, a lot of young people feel isolated and lonely
1: Considering the way things have transitioned to being more open and people less withdrawn mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. public the way they were when th- things mm-hmm. first happened a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you look back now, how do you feel the diocese overall handled the pandemic in the various means you, you've, you've mentioned about how mass is online? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel like on a scale of one to 10, the diocese handled that? And is there anything you maybe would have taken a step back and, and changed about what happened.
0: It's interesting because, you know, it's a very, very personal story. You know, there were some parishes that actually, surprisingly, I don't know if the word is thrive, but did very, very well. Those parishes that seemed to have more than survived, but actually grow, were those in which the pastor or the people that were on the pastoral staff were able to continue to connect with the people. Like, I know a number of pastors that actually made phone calls on a regular basis and then also sent out bulletins or some sort of announcements to the people. They kept that connection going. So, uh, And they seem to have done better. Some of them actually, in the aftermath, find themselves growing uh, in attendance and also in financial support. Uh, those that really shut down and that lost that sense of connection did not do so well. So, you know, I, the way I would evaluate it is what worked and what didn't and, and, and keeping contact. Doing whatever you can to keep that content. That always works. So to the extent that we were able to do that, we did have a dedicated website so people could come in and see. Basically the approach we took was we were as dependent as everybody on what the uh healthcare officials told us, you know, as to what was the best way. And initially remember they were not encouraging masks and then and they said, No, you gotta wear a mask, so forth. So we basically followed whatever the best advice we could possibly find. We didn't Challenge, you know, that we knew better than that because that's not uh, what we would have the expertise on. So we encourage people to follow what the guidelines were of the health department, both nationally as well as locally. And for the most part, it worked. But I have to say, the, if you will, the secret ingredient that really helped us to do more than just survive was maintaining that personal contact and, as we saw talked about before, using the means available to us. So we used the technology as best we could in, in schools, for example. I, I don't know if I could give the diocese a, uh, there were a couple of studies that were done, and uh, I don't know how we came out, but I always leave that to others to make that evaluation, because I don't want to pat myself on the back. But I, I think we did the, the best we could under the circumstances, and I'm very proud of the way uh, Paris and the way people responded, uh, particularly our schools. I'm particularly proud of our schools.
1: I thought of an interesting timeline to bring up. It, you could say it's a pretty wide-spanning timeline, but I'll, I'll try to whittle it down as much as possible. And that was the shift in in approaches and beliefs in the, the way things operated, going from John Paul II, we'll focus mainly like the late nineties, early two thousands to his passing, to Pope Benedict and his I think it was eight years he was he was Pope from 05 to twenty thirteen if I remember correctly. And now Pope Francis. When you look at that timeline, how do you view the changes or lack thereof that happened going from one to the other? And where do you feel like the church is at now as far as its trajectory? Are you looking at it more of an upward trajectory, you feel like, with the church now?
0: Well, I think that the, uh, if I look over the years, there has been a, an effort to try to focus a little more on what is mostly important. I do see a progress, a growth going in the direction of, uh, of a church that is uh, closer to the people, puts more emphasis on relationship. I was just talking to my, uh, my evangelization guy, St. Tom Gronin, before. We're more interested in developing relationships than we are in uh, getting everything technically right. If somebody has uh, questions or issues, I want to hear from them. I'm more interested in getting to know the person and their story than I am in trying to get all the language right all of the time. You know, there's a lot of emphasis in our culture right now on what's sometimes been called political correctness. You know, I'm more interested in hearing somebody's story. Where did you get to be where you are right now? What has been your journey? What is your journey of faith in life? Because I like meeting people where they're at. And a lot of people today have experienced brokenness in relationships, you know, the, the marriage that didn't work out, the friendship that turned out to be not so real, not so authentic. And it's hurting them. And we have to talk about that. Why did it come to that? What did I learn from that experience? And where am I moving in my life right now? In order to give hope that we can put some of this together again, we can learn from some of our experiences, not all of them positive. And we're there to heal and to bring hope in people's lives. That's what we're trying to do with our survivors, for example. You know, I I can't put the genie back in the bottle. I can't repair what some wrong that was done to somebody in a relationship, and whether that was an experience of domestic violence or a broken marriage or sexual abuse. But I can meet somebody and say, let me hear for you, tell me about what you've experienced. What can I do to make you feel, first of all, God loves you, and I'm here for you. And I don't want to abandon anybody. I don't want anybody to feel that they're abandoned. There's a lot of loneliness. And I think that's the direction that we've moved in. As a church universally, Pope Francis has put a lot of that on what he calls the encounter. And I think that's that's very, very much the example that Jesus himself gave us, that he always met met people where they were. And that's what I want to do.
1: Uh, we'll, we'll take a quick time out. We get back more from Bishop Edward Scharfenberger from Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany. it be nice if I could speak English. Uh, we'll <laughs> come back in just a moment right here on Albany Street.
0: The historic bells of Albany City Hall return us to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting.
1: And welcome back to Albany Street here as part of the Albany Broadcasting Family Networks. And, uh, of course, you can catch this interview and all past interviews since my time of taking over Albany Street on b95.com backslash Albany-street, including uh, this episode, Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany. And I'm going to come to the Hope and Healing directive that's Mm. been created through diocese in a moment, but I feel like I'm getting the the sense of the theme that, and I don't think it's just a a diocesan thing, I think it's a church-wide thing when I I ask this. When you look at everything that happened with the various scandals, not just Mm. around here, just in general in Mm -hmm. the church, do you feel like because of all that, there's still a looming reputation even all these years later that... Is preventing people from feeling like there's a proper communication line that they can have because it's, it feels like that that's the main component of everything right now is trying to remind people that the communication lines are always going to be open yeah yes you know th- th- there might be less priests around than there were say 20 30 40 years ago mm. that doesn't mean that the priests that are still practicing right now or have begun practicing in the last 20 years are going to be any less willing to talk to you than they were 20, 30, 40 years
0: ago? Sure, sure. Well, you know, one of the things that we have done is uh, uh, we have vastly uh, expanded our uh, communications options. You know, in other words, we always say, if you see something, say something. Uh, We have a... uh, uh, a ministry right now that reaches out uh, to people to make sure that they uh, uh, are not afraid you know, to speak up. And uh, so definitely the lines of communication have opened up. Uh, we have actually, you mentioned the Hope in Healing, we have actually a website, hopeinhealing.com. You can go to our uh, uh, diocesan website, rcda.org, and you can see all the resources that are available uh, we also have uh, extensive safe environment programs right now, so that anybody that's involved in ministry, particularly with children, goes through a process of training and accountability. So uh, right now we have, uh, I, I think, and we can. It's always something we continue to grow in, uh, to try to be transparent, to try to uh, foster accountability. Can't change the past, but we can learn from it. And, uh, and I want to say that I want a church where there are no hidden corners, where nobody has to be afraid, where nobody has to hide, uh, where uh, we will reach out to anybody that uh, uh, is in trouble in any way, for whatever reasons, you know, whether it's because of a relationship in the church or even outside, you know. Uh, our Catholic charities, for example, we serve everybody. You know, many, many people, when they say, what do you most want, from a church, they always say we want a church that is welcoming, that opens up our our arms to anybody that that comes. And we also want to be a church that isn't just a church that opens its doors, but we want to go outside of our ch- doors of our comfort zones and to meet people where they are at, you know. And which is one of the reasons why we have the ministries we do with young people, uh, and uh, and why we're doing uh, what Pope Francis has encouraged us to do to go out into the margins, you know, and to reach those that are not necessarily within the comfort zone, you know. And uh, and that's what we do. You know, we go out into the world. Jesus told us that. Go into the world and tell the good news.
1: And, and we mentioned the hope and healing yeah. uh, initiative that's going on, you know, yeah. providing events and resources that aim to address the different needs of survivors, which, like you mentioned, it goes beyond the scope of just any— Abuse victims, it goes into domestic violence, um, marriage issues, all
0: all, all kinds of stuff. It's people struggling with uh, with uh, perhaps uh, various addictions. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, And I feel like when you when you mention the words, the word transparency and you Mm -hmm. link that with opening communication lines. It's been 20 years, I think, since I've seen him, but I can't think of a better guy mm. that has been tagged to be part of this initiative than Father Bob Longabuco.
0: No, oh, yes, yeah, I, yeah. I to this day, he's one of my vicars. Actually, a,
1: a, a, to this day, he's 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 one of those guys that always just he, he stuck in my mind. Just right. such a personality, and mm. I mean. Obviously you you got out, big smile on your face when I mentioned his name. I mean just just talk about uh, how easy was it to really just like this is you. Like how, it just seemed like a, a perfect marriage really for sure. him to come on board with this.
0: Sure absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bob, Father Bob is one of my closest uh collaborators, let's say he's pastor of a parish. He's also a uh, one of my vicars general uh, who has basically uh shares with me a lot of the uh pastoral and administrative authority that I have. He helps me out with confirmations um and uh, he's on a number of our committees. Uh, in fact, we're we're uh, making plans to have a an event in Orysville which is in our diocese Orysville is the shrine of the North American Martyrs. Mm-hmm. And in October you'll be hearing more about it. We're going to have a big gathering of people throughout the state to come and uh, to celebrate uh, the presence of God in our midst, particularly his Eucharistic presence in the Mass. And, uh, and of course, uh, Father Bob will be collaborating with us on that. Everybody calls him Father Bob, as you said. Yeah. yeah. Good guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, for those of you who might think Ariesville is familiar, uh Carrie with Isaac Jogues. Just, there you go. This is a, a point of reference. The, sh- the shrine's not too far away from where I am in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. so I, I'm— Wholeheartedly aware of, of I
0: like where to that location think is. Think of them as our heroes in a way, you know, mm-hmm. the Valley of the Heroes, the the Mohawk River, and you know, I, I actually had this vision too that we have a baseball uh, home of greats, you know, in in Cooperstown. Yep. And one of the things uh, for families who are planning uh, to you know bring their their uh, their families on on vacation to consider a visit to the shrine, and then go down the river a little bit and go to go to Cooperstown and and uh, we can an opportunity to become acquainted with our 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 heroes in sports and our heroes in the uh, in spreading the faith and the good news of God's love. So that's what uh, that's what the martyrs did. They wanted to introduce to the Native Americans uh, God's love.
1: Now uh, we're going to wrap things up in a few minutes, but I wanted to make sure I at least got this question and. I'm not sure how how much you can get into it. You can get into it as little as you can, as much as you can. Um, and it's... It's the question I hate asking because I had a tremendous relationship with this gentleman years ago when I was very involved in the Catholic Church, and that was Bishop Howard Hubbard um, requesting to leave the clergy. Um, it's been a process since he had stepped away from being the bishop of albany all in all when you when you look at what bishop hubbard did for the diocese and how this whole process has kind of led towards where it is now how do you feel about how things have gone and how do you feel about this request that the request that he had made to leave the clergy and become a layman
0: well uh, bishop hubbard has made uh, recently some very personal decisions that uh, uh, he has spoken about you know uh, briefly but he has spoken about it himself and I myself have responded you know uh, and you can go online to find out what I have. I want to respect his privacy I want to respect his intentions and uh, and he has in fact uh, presented a petition to the Holy See that uh, to my knowledge has not been responded to yet. So it would be premature for me to comment on where that is going or what his intentions are. Uh, as you know, uh, his history is well-known. Uh, bishop uh, Hubbard was ordained a bishop at the ripe old age, I think, of 37, I believe, or 38. He was fairly young. And uh, he was known primarily as a street priest, and uh, he had worked uh, very, very closely with people with, uh, uh, with uh, addictions. And, uh, and that was primarily his reputation. Uh, he's always been very, very much involved, very close to the people. And uh, so I think his, his, uh, uh, his work speaks for itself. And uh, you were mentioning, for example, your, your, uh, your uh, experience in the South Side there, as I used to call it down, those parishes there that he was very, very close to. So, uh, um, And I, you know, being kind of a newbie, uh, remember that uh, I've only been in the diocese since 2014, And so I succeeded Bishop Hubbard, and uh, as I said, his good deeds remained uh, with him. And uh, even now, uh, because as you know, there have been a number of allegations that have come forth in this, uh, what they call the CVA, the Child Victims Act. And it was Bishop Hubbard that approached me and said in view of this, he thought it would be appropriate for him to step back from active ministry. Uh, and I said fine because I really don't have the authority either you know to tell him what to do he is a retired bishop and uh, but he has remained very very present I I see him practically at every funeral that I do for any any deceased priest he's always shown up and uh, last Sunday when I was installing the new rector of the cathedral father David Miskevich there was Bishop Hubbard in the congregation there too so he's been very present I Try to keep up with him, you know, every week uh, to see how he's doing. And uh, uh But I also respect his privacy and uh, how that develops, so know, time will only tell. But uh, I'm grateful for his ministry in the past and uh, continue to wish him well and to pray for him and whatever he decides to do going forward. And one of the things we briefly discussed at one point
1: uh, off the air was the fact that Yes, you're the only the tenth bishop, but the diocese has been in existence for around 175 years, mm-hmm. and a big chunk of that 175 years was the 37 or so that Bishop Hubbard was in place. Mm-hmm. So you take 37 uh, divide by two, carry the three. So figure that's 140 years over the course of nine other bishops, mm-hmm. including yourself. Mm-hmm. So getting down to it, you've been in position for almost a decade now, mm-hmm. about nine years. Mm-hmm. How much longer would you like to be in the position you're in? And- that's, a, that's a
0: very good question. Uh, very good question, Brian. Uh, you probably are aware some of our listeners too, that at, as on my 75th birthday, which is May 29th this year, 2023, I'm expected to submit a letter of resignation to the Holy Father, which I will do. And uh, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, I'll always be a priest. So whether I continue, uh, and that letter, I don't know how the Holy Father will respond to it. If he has a successor in mind, he'll he'll announce that in due time. But uh, I uh, I am very, very open to whatever it is that the Holy Father wants me to do, either as a continuing to be Bishop of Albany or as a retired bishop. And I would offer to my successor, I have no intention of moving out of the diocese uh, you know, uh, to uh, to minister any other place than here. Even though I come from Brooklyn, uh, I like being in Albany, and uh, I intend to stay.
1: Look at what we've done to you. We've, we've, we've...
0: <laughs> you converted me. <laughs>
1: uh, we, we've taken some of the Brooklyn out of you, not all oh, the Brooklyn out. Bit. of you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sometimes
0: the language, you know, if I get, if I talk fast, you'll notice it. But uh, I'm I'm still looking. I'm always looking. You know, if we have this or, on, ongoing discussion: who has the best pizza. And when I first got here, there, we had a little contest, as, uh, and they asked me to be the judge as to who had the best pizza. And I, I know there's all different types of it, but uh, but I'm always looking for a good pizza house, too. I, and I think that's part of my Brooklyn and I'll, will never come out of me, that, that love for pizza.
1: <laughs> and uh, I hope it never, never changes because <laughs> there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a love for pizza at all. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that yeah. all being said, it, it's been a joy and a pleasure Uh, Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany. Can't thank you enough for having this happen. It's been a long time coming, and uh, we'll definitely get together again and uh, make this happen one more time. Looking forward.
0: Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks to all of our listeners. God bless. Awesome. And thank
1: every one of you for listening to Albany Street here on the Albany Broadcasting Family Networks again. In case you missed any of this episode, you can check it out online in uh, just a few hours, b95.com slash Albany-Street, or you can also check it out on Spotify. Just search for Albany Street. It'll come up right there. That all being said, we thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next week. Have a great week. This has been Albany Street.
0: The historic bells of Albany City Hall close out another edition of Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. This program, pre-recorded.